Church, uh, my name is Sam, and we will be now reading today's passage in the scriptures from John 5, 1 to 18. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Beth Bethesda, which has five rooted colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, on another, uh, going another steps down before me. Uh, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man, uh, the, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Uh, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you, see, you are well, sin no more, that Nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this, is, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Uh, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of God. That's my twin. <laughs> that was like a scene from The Prestige, you know? Anyways. Well, uh, good morning. Sorry, I don't know why I started off like that. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to True North Church. Um, we, we are, you know, we want to warmly greet for those that are here for the first time, for those that are visiting, and especially those that are online. We want to welcome you as we continue on in our sermon series through the book of John. Now, um, let me ask you guys a question. Are you guys one of those people that are a stickler for rules, or are you, like the, are you the people that kind of like to bend the rules? You know, um, yeah, yeah. Me, me, um, if you're a stickler for rules, you will find me truly annoying. Um, and if you are a stickler for rules, I may find you truly annoying. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think rules are very important. And I think uh, without rules, there will be chaos. And there are, uh, you know, important needs and, uh, for, for rules. I, I think rules require, it gives us good boundaries. Uh, even in the areas of creativity and the arts, without rules, uh, there would be, it would just be absolute chaos, right? Uh, I mean, in music, I'm not a big, I don't know music that well, but there are certain musical rules that you have to follow. Uh, if you go outside those boundaries, then it's not real music. You're just making noise. If you have children uh, who play a recorder, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, even the arts, without there are certain rules in, in artistic expressions, and, and outside of those rules, it's really just kind of chaos, and 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 you know, just it's not real art. It's just re weird things that you're looking at, right? And so, but at the same time, I, I think rules are important when they're good rules. When they're dumb rules, I can't stand them. And, and a lot of times, I experienced just recently. Uh, there's a lot of dumb rules in travel. Um, so, did you guys know that if if your passport is going to expire within six months, then you can't travel internationally. 
then that's stupid. Then, then that's not, the exp your expiration date is really just six months before the expiration date. You know what I mean? Like, how, how dumb is that, right? Uh, and also, you know, me and my wife, we, we were traveling recently, and uh, one of our check-in bags was over 50 pounds. And so we had to take some stuff out and then put it in our carry-on. I was like, oh, wait, what the? It's the same weight. But I, I, so I researched it and I realized, oh, it's not about the weight that goes on the plane. The reason why they have a 50-pound limit is because of uh, baggage handlers. They don't want baggage handlers to get injured. But the weight limit for international flights is 70 pounds. So does that mean they hire less injury-prone people for international? You, you know what I mean? I'm like, that's a, that's a dumb rule, right? And um, so it just, you know, you're kind of like, what the heck? So like there's, there's certain, there's good rules uh, that I think is very important for you to uh, abide by. And then there's dumb rules where it's really not about the letter of the law. It should be about the spirit of the law. Um, and, and me, I, I, I'm all about the spirit of the law. I, I, I hate the letter of the law. Un unless, unless the letter of the law benefits me. <laughs> then, then let me tell you, I will, I will abide by the very letter of the law. Uh, even if it means like really uncomfortable situations. So recently, me and Pastor Eugene, we went to a, a, a pastor's conference in Portland, and uh, I mistakenly forgot to check. Uh, we flew Southwest. And usually when I fly Southwest, I put like five, ten reminders on my phone. Check in. Like 24 hours before, you got to check in. Because you, you, want, you want to be in the A group, if possible, right? Because who wants to be in the B group? The B group boards after all the families with kids board. You know what I mean? Like, you want to get there before the kids. So, but I forgot to check in. We got like B43 and B44. So I was already upset. You know, that, and then like, and then our flight was, you know, kind of, it's supposed to get delayed, so I was even more upset. And then we're standing in line, we're all lined up, and then there's a group of people in front of me, and I'm just kind of, you know, just upset that we're in the B group. And then I look at the ticket of the lady in, uh, of the lady in front of me, and it said B45. And I was like, B45? And I looked at mine, I was like, mine says B43, and I know Eugene's B44, so she shouldn't be in front of us, you know? So I was like, excuse me, um... <laughs> I see that you're B45. I'm B43. You got to get behind me. And she's like, oh, no, it's, it's all open seating, so it doesn't really matter. I was like, exactly. So because it's open seating, you're going to get potentially a seat that I want. So you need, she's like, no, I'm with my family, and we're all going to sit together anyway. So it doesn't really, I was like, no, 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 no. So I, I, I went full Jesus mode on Peter. I was like, get behind me. And, and she was all upset. She got behind me. We got on the plane, and. She ended up sitting with her family, and I sat, you know, in the row behind them. And it was just, so it didn't really matter, right? But at that moment, it was, I was a stickler for the letter of the law, right? And the reason why I bring this up is because whether you are a stickler for the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, uh, in most situations when it benefits you or when it's about you, uh, we are all very hypocritical. And we're all willing to be hypocrites as long as it selfishly serves us. And when we really think about our hypocrisy and the fact that we are all guilty of some form of hypocrisy, it really shows us really the need for some sort of healing in us, some sort of uh, 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 wretchedness in us spiritually where we are unable to extend grace to others but extend more grace to ourselves. And as we look at this passage in John chapter 5, uh, we see an example of Jesus healing an invalid who has been sick for 38 years and then the hypocritical reaction of the religious leaders as they are unwilling or unable to extend grace to somebody with whom Jesus has miraculously healed. 
And I think for us, it exposes in us, really, that every single one of us, whether we are religious, whether we are not religious, whether we see ourselves as morally good or whether we see ourselves as morally not as good, that all of us, we're all in the same boat in terms of needing some sort of spiritual healing that can only come from Jesus. That will give us really the uh, uh, reconciliation of a relationship with God the Father. So today, when we look at our first point, where we're going to see, just as we read the story, that we are all people who are desperately in need of spiritual healing. Now, John begins John, uh, chapter 5 by introducing to us a new character in the gospel. Okay? In his gospel, he now introduces us to the main antagonist. Uh, and this main antagonist, he refers to them as the Jews. Okay? Now, I want to be very clear and very specific, especially with all the news going on. He doesn't mean every Jew every ethnic Jew. When he says the Jews, he's speaking very specifically about the religious Jewish leaders of that time. And he introduces us and he says that he goes back to Jerusalem because there was a feast of the Jews, right? And this feast, we are not exactly sure what this feast was. Uh, We don't know which specific feast it is, but we do know that it is one that is put together by the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and, and the Sanhedrin. And so we, we see that they are now introducing, John is introducing the, the antagonist or the opposition to Jesus and the gospel message. And now as he goes, and it says that he goes into a, the pool that is called Bethesda near the Sheep Gate. Now, um, some scholars back in the day, they thought, they, they didn't think that this actual pool existed but later on, they found this pool in, in the city of Jerusalem uh, and is near the Sheep Gate. And this is a place where many people, it says the multitude of people, invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, gathered um, for healing. So this was a place where we see that uh, a multitude is actually a lot of people, right? A, a great significant amount of people were gathered here because they were all seeking physical healing. They were all seeking some sort of reprieve or some sort of a, a, a help or hope for the physical ailment that they were suffering from. And at this very place was a man who has been invalid for 38 years. Half this room, has, maybe more than half this room, has not even lived for 38 years, right? For this man has been sick. This man has been struggling with a physical uh, illness or maybe even unable to walk, unable to move for almost four decades of his life. And Jesus, he goes to this place. He goes to this place and he asks this man a question. Do you want to be healed? And as he asks this question, the man responds in a way which I find, with, you know, I find a little bit surprising, right? Those are like fighter jets. So it's really loud, but it's like, I wish I could fly fighter jets. Anyone watch Maverick? That was awesome. <laughs> a great movie. So good. Should win an Oscar. Anyways, back to the point. Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? And he responds in a way that is... Kind of surprising, right? And I think oftentimes we, we've, many of us, if you've grown in the church, you've kind of read this passage before or you're familiar with this story. You might uh, be familiar with another version of the story. You might get some of the stories mixed up. They all kind of sound similar. But he responds in a way where maybe it's, it's not normal. He says, uh, instead of saying, yes, I want to be healed, he says, I'm unable to move. And every time I'm about to enter the pool, someone goes in before me. And, and you're asking yourself, well, why does he respond in this way? 
right? Because, and we'll explain this a little further, but the, the, the reason why a lot of these sick people were gathered at this pool is because they believed that when the pool water was stirred, that it was being stirred up by an angel, and the first person to go into that pool would be healed, miraculously healed. And what he's saying is like, hey, every time I try to go in, someone goes in before me. Now, there's a couple things that I think we should point out from this statement. Number one, he's all alone. He has no one to help him. He has been invalid for that long, and yet he has no one to help him. He's completely alone. And two, everyone there is cutting in line in front of him. Right? And uh, what, what, like cutting in line is, is one of the ways that you can kind of dehumanize someone without really dehumanizing them. You know what I mean? Because you're just basically saying, I don't see you. Like, I don't even acknowledge your presence in line, so I'm going to cut in front of you. You know, like, that's why I realize now that I'm saying this, that's why I was so angry. She, she, cut, in, she cut in front of me, right? And, and so the, the question is, is why is he like this? So I'm going to assume that he might not be a very likable guy, okay? Uh, that he has no friends, he has no family, and at the same time, he's in a very kind of depressing place, right? Um, have you guys ever been to urgent care? Being at this pool is like being in urgent care. It, it, it sucks. Like, when you go to the emergency room, it's an emergency. So, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's a big deal. When you go to a regular doctor's appointment, you go, it's because, you know, you're, you got a checkup. You, maybe you're feeling a little sick. But when you go to urgent care, it's like you're not going to die, but it's not a regular doctor's appointment. It's just a very kind of in-between depressing place to be. And I don't know if you've been there, but you go to urgent care, you end up waiting forever like over two and a half hours, three hours, depending on what your, who your medical provider is. Uh, but when you're there, sometimes you kind of hang out with the other people in urgent care, and then eventually like, oh, what are you in here for? And you, you, know, you, you kinda, you know, you're, you're kind of friendly because you're all kind of struggling together, right? And that's kind of like this place. All these invalids, all these blind, all these paralyzed people, they're all struggling together, and you would think that there would be a moment where someone would actually reach out and be like, hey, I'll help you. You've been waiting here a long time. It says he, this guy's been waiting there a long time. But no one does that because potentially he might be a social outcast as well. So not only is he physically invalid, he might be socially stunted, and also just emotionally he has no way and no capacity to be able to really seek out the help that he needs. And here Jesus enters into this space and says, do you want to be healed? This man responds and says, I have no one to help me. I have no one. And so Jesus commands him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he does so. So not only is this man physically lame, he may be socially lame, but for sure he's spiritually lame. And the reason why I can come to that conclusion is this. As he's walking and carrying his mat, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they say, yo, what the heck? What are you doing carrying your, your bed? It's the Sabbath. And he's like, a man told me to pick up my mat and walk. And they're like, who told you to do this? He's like, I don't know. Okay, now, it says that Jesus kind of went into the crowd after he commanded this man to get up and walk. But put yourself in this situation. If you have been an invalid for 38 years and a man that you never knew approaches you and tells you to pick up your mat and walk and it miraculously heals you, wouldn't you do everything in your power to, to grab that man, to find him, and to thank him? There was absolutely no gratitude in this man. All he cared about was like, hey, I, I'm walking now. 
And once the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they approach him, and basically they're like, you're breaking the law. You're breaking a, a, a law, like who told you to do this? Um, he's like, hey, someone else, this man told me to do it. So he kind of rats out Jesus. And then later Jesus finds him, and he's like, hey, I see you're doing well. And does he thank him then? No. He goes directly to the religious leaders, and he says, it was Jesus that told me to pick up my mat and walk. So he not only kind of rats him out, and then he fully rats him out. This man had no desire to be grateful for the healing that he received. And so I think when we look at this picture of this man, oftentimes we, we think, oh, we, you know, we're like this man. We're a man, like invalid. We're spiritually invalid. Jesus heals us, and oh, we're so grateful for it. Um, we're usually not. We're usually like this invalid. That without Jesus, not only can we not heal ourselves, but without Jesus, we are people who would not really recognize and be grateful for the very healing that we receive from the Son of God. I mean, just think about just your own life, right? How many times has God provided something miraculous, maybe even not that miraculous? How many times has God uh, shown you grace and mercy, and yet you so easily forget? And you're on to your next request. And you're on to the next thing that you need or you want in your life. That really shows us how spiritually in need we are and that without Jesus, we cannot save ourselves. But instead of clinging to Jesus, what oftentimes we do is we cling to systems of religion or secularism, hoping that we'll find healing. And so what, what do I mean by that? Uh, I think in this passage alone, we see two clear systems uh, of, of man-made religion or man-made secularism that we think or we place our hope in for healing and salvation. So first of all, it's very clear that this man along with all the other invalids and blind and, and lame people, uh, put their hope in a secular idea, a, a system of belief or thought that they think will bring them physical healing. And that was this idea that as long as they entered into the pool when it's first stirred up and that you're the first person to enter into that pool, that you would be healed. Now just imagine as modern Western educated people, if, so, if I came up to you and said, hey, guys, like, who's sick here? Stand up. Okay. Uh, there's going to be a pool, and once it, like, ripples, whoever's the first one in, you guys will be healed. You'll be healed of, you know, your headaches, your, you know, whatever the case, you know, whatever you want to be healed of, I'll he it'll heal you. And you're like, how is that so? Well, you see, the ripple is not just wind. It's an angel that is coming down. And the angel's stirring up the water. And because of that, but you got to be first. You got to be first. And you'd be like, shut up, right? <laughs> That's, that sounds stupid. Well, I mean, th these people believed it. But imagine with me that you're living in this time, right? And, 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 you're, and let's say we're talking to the people of this time. And we say, oh, you're sick? You know what you need to do? You need to find a good career. You need to spend all your energy, all your time trying to achieve career success. And when you achieve that career success, guess what? All your problems go away. You know what they would say? Stupid. That's dumb. Right? Because for them, 
Their system of secularism and, and belief and hope is different from ours. We have just the same type of ridiculous ideas of what will heal us and save us as they did. Think about it. A lot of us, if I ask you guys, what is the reason why you want to be successful? What is the reason why you achieve and try to be so good at the jobs that you do? Why do you want to earn money? You say, well, because I do it for my family. Now, imagine with me how much time you spend away from your family in order to achieve that success for your family. Wouldn't it be better for you to just spend time with your family and live within your means? Doesn't that make more sense? I, I, you know, I mean, there's so many ridiculous ideas that we believe will bring salvation and healing in our lives, when in reality, it does the direct opposite. Just like this man who believed that jumping into a pool would bring healing was absolutely ridiculous, we also place our hopes in things of this world that are absolutely ridiculous. How many of us believe that being able to, to purchase a home here in the Bay Area, then we can finally get situated? then we can finally lay our roots, then we can finally start living our lives. And so you, you, you work to your bone and you cause all this stress and anxiety. You cause stress within the relationships of your family, all to purchase a home, and then what? And then you got to fix it. Then you got to maintain it. So it's never enough. And then you're 70 and you're like, where did my life go? But we think that these systems of hope are going to give us exactly what we need when it doesn't. So that's the first system. But there's also a religious system that we see here. The religious system that does not actually bring healing and hope, but the ones that people are so immersed in, is the, religious, is the system of religion of the Judaism, uh, Jew, uh, Jewish people. See, these Pharisees are considered the holiest and most well-versed people in, in their religion. These Jewish leaders were people who knew the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible front and back. Not only that, they knew all the laws associated with it. They were the people who outwardly behaved in a very holy and commendable way. And yet, encountered with the actual Son of God, and yet they don't recognize who he is. I mean, that's a scary thought, guys. Right? Uh, if, you are, if you are a believer and you are here today and you, f and you feel and you believe that you are someone who is, uh, has a relationship with Jesus, uh, Im imagine uh, someone coming and, you know, Jesus presenting himself and you not recognizing him. Right? You'd say, that would never happen to me. Number one, Jesus wouldn't come down. Well, why wouldn't he? Uh, he says he's going to come back. And number two, it's like, but if he did, I'll recognize him. Oh, would you really? You know, that's, I mean, you really have to ask them that question because these Pharisees, they're probably way holier than you, okay? They're way more religious than you were. They were people who knew the Bible way more than you do and me. And yet they were not able to recognize who Jesus was. Why? Because in their interpretation, they were caught up in a religious system of merit and they believed that everything that they believed was truer than actually what Jesus was teaching. So when they experience and see a man carrying a bed on the Sabbath, they were more concerned about the act of breaking the Sabbath than being awed and inspired by that fact that someone has just been healed. Right? If, and here's the thing. that These religious leaders, they may or may not, but I'm going to guess that some of them did. They probably knew of this man. 
I mean, this is a man who has been invalid for 38 years. This is a man who has been hanging out at the pool at Bethesda for a long time, it says. And all of a sudden, he is up and he is walking. He's carrying his bed. Instead of seeing this man and saying, stop right where you are, how are you walking? Who is it that performed this miracle? They responded with, stop. Why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? See, the need for the spiritual healing of this religious leader is now exposed as they show just the pure, pure hypocrisy of their religion. That they are more concerned about this man breaking the Sabbath than they are with the fact that he has been miraculously healed. And so when this man says, Jesus is the one who told me to get up and pick up my mat and walk, they go and approach this Jesus. Instead of recognizing Jesus as the Son of God and saying, where did, you have, where did you get the power to heal this man? They say, why did you tell this man to break the Sabbath? Now, there's a couple things that I want you to think about. Number one, um, as they encounter Jesus, they don't recognize him. And number two, they, they question him about the knowledge of the law. See, for the Jewish leaders, they believed that in order to keep the Sabbath, that you had to make sure that you follow certain laws and regulations about it. But they were very hypocritical about it. So uh, for the Sabbath, you were only allowed to travel, you can't travel more than 1,000 yards away from your home on the Sabbath day because traveling was work. 1,000 yards, if you don't know what that is, that's um, four drivers for me, okay? Um, three drivers and, and two chip shots for Pastor Eugene, okay? Um, it's... It's, it's, it's a distance, but not that far. So what they did is um, they would tie a rope at the end of their street, and then now you can travel 1,000 yards from the end of the rope. Okay? If they needed to travel further, what they would do is at 999 yards away from the end of the rope, they would place a little mat and some food the night before so they can eat there so that they can say, oh, see, that's part of my home. So now I can travel 1,000 yards more from the place where they put the food and the mat. Okay? So literally... On the Sabbath, a good law-abiding Jew can travel from Israel all the way, all the way to, to Russia as long as they have enough mats and food. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a way to go, go around the law. It's very hypocritical. And yet, these Jewish leaders are sticklers for this rule and yet unable to see the spirit of the, of the law and unable to see that what is right in front of them is the very person who could heal them of their hypocrisy. Because they too, though they were outwardly religious, were inwardly spiritually dead and in need of a savior. So then the question and, and the last point that I want to have uh, leave you with is this. Then, then what is... What is the application for this? Uh, what is, what, how should we respond to this? See, when we are people who are um, religiously hypocritical, uh, people who are completely spiritually destitute, uh, we, end up, um, we end up creating rules, uh, we end up creating hedges, we end up creating fences around things that we find important. And unwilling to uh, bend on things that we, f uh, we find unimportant or unwilling to be gracious to the things that we should be gracious to. Think about how spiritually dead these Pharisees are. That they were so concerned about the, f the Sabbath 
and yet that they're willing to commit murder. It says, they were so upset at Jesus that he called God his father that they now are thinking about how to kill this man. See, don't carry your bed on the Sabbath, but let's plot to murder somebody. Right? That's the hypocrisy there, right? And I think when we have that attitude of hypocrisy because we place our, our hope in human-made systems, what that does is it makes us unable to create the spaces needed for people who are truly spiritually in need of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the thing, guys. Uh, when we look at this passage, when we look at what's going on here, um, a couple things are missing. Number one, Jesus is the only religious figure who is present at the pool of Bethesda. Who are, who are not there? The religious leaders. The reason why they had to ask this man, who was it that told you to get up and pick up your bed and walk? is because they weren't there. They were not present among the very people that the Bible, that God had called them to serve. Now, the Old Testament, and, and here's the thing. To be fair, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be, you know, I don't want to make them look like super evil. But to be fair, when I was, you know, doing some study in the Old Testament, I was trying to look up, well, what are the commands that God has about um, the people of Israel and how they should treat people who are sick and, and, and invalid and, and blind? And the, a lot of the times, the majority of the cases uh, in the Old Testament um, showed illness and physical uh, illness as a sign of punishment for sin. Okay? So I can see why, why the religious leaders would consider that being physically sick meant that they were uh, sinners and people who sinned. And, and we see this because later on in chapter 9, the disciples ask Jesus when they see the man who was born blind, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So even the disciples at the time believed or, or culturally and religiously believed that sickness or ailment was a sign of punishment from God. But, I mean, yes, it can be, but it's not always the case. And we see this later on in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, where God gives the Levitical priests very specific instructions on how they ought to treat people with leprosy. And now we're not going to, I'm not going to put you guys to sleep by reading Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. I'm going to just summarize it very quickly for you guys, okay? In Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, what we have are the laws to the Levites, the priestly tribe of Israel. And for the Levites, um, they're priests, but they're also kind of, they're basically like physicians for the Israelites as well. In chapter 13 and 14, there are specific rules and guidelines on how the Levites should go or have the people who may have leprosy come to them so they can examine them and they can give them uh, guidance and, and, and give them the proper way of how they can heal before they enter into the temple of God. Uh, and, and that means that God didn't always see illness or physical ailments as a form of punishment, and that the, the people of Israel, the religious leaders, that they had a um, responsibility to go and be with these people, to pursue them, to help them, so that they can re-enter into the temple of God as clean people. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 3 through 4, what we have is a, a rebuke from God to the people of Israel, and it says this, you eat the fat, 
You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The, uh, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So from that rebuke, we see the heart of God that he does desire his people to bring back the strayed, to bound up the injured, right? To, to heal and to strengthen the weak. But these Pharisees did not. In fact, there was no space besides this pool where the injured, the lame, the invalid, they had no place to go. The very heart of God, which is to go and pursue and to seek those that are weak and injured, and yet the very ones who are called to be representing him, they stayed away. There was no religious leaders at the pool of Bethesda. Only Jesus was there. So now when we think about us in our time, if we have to think about, well, what are the, what are the spaces that we inhabit and who is present and who is not present? If we look at our community groups, if we look at our church, even if we look at our own personal lives, who are the people that are present and not present in it? Though we now have graduated from the feeling of like, oh, you know, physical ailment is a, is a you know, calamity from God, you know, like, it's not like we will bar people from entering church or entering community group because of their physical disabilities or physical illnesses, right? Um, we're not going to say that, oh, if you're sick, then there, you know, you must have sinned. You know, I think that's something that hopefully we can all agree upon that we do not believe that. But instead, what we do is that we have no longer, not no longer, we have never created spaces or a place for people who are spiritually and possibly even emotionally and socially hurting, struggling, and in pain. That for people who might be spiritually having a difficult time, how does, how does their spiritual deadness exhibit itself? Oftentimes, it exhibits itself in behaviors that are quote-unquote unchristian-like. They oftentimes uh, exhibit behaviors that make us feel uncomfortable. That make us wonder, oh, what, are they a little weird? Are they a little off? And what is the response from us, majority of us as Christians? We keep an arm's distance. Enough that hopefully they just stop never coming back. Or they, that, that they stop coming. And they're no longer here. Or what about people who you have served alongside? Maybe they were in your community group. Maybe they were people that you thought they were genuine Christians. And maybe they're struggling emotionally or mentally or maybe even spiritually. And they stop kind of coming to church or they stop serving or they're no longer in community groups. They no longer respond to your emails. And what do we do? We just kind of, uh, we don't know what happened to them. And they no longer feel comfortable coming. And we no longer feel comfortable seeing them. Because in, in our own hypocrisy, and even in this form of religion in which we have created and I have helped create and orchestrate, and the, the form of religion that we believe in as Christians, we believe the gospel of Jesus. Yes, I'm not going to deny that. But the way we apply it to the very people that might be in need, I, I think we, we're still struggling to understand what that looks like. 
And I'm not saying here that I have the answers, but at least what I'm saying is let's open our minds to the possibility that we are just like the Pharisees who are no longer allowing a comfortable space for the invalids to enter into the temple. We are allowing people who are struggling spiritually, mentally, and emotionally to no longer enter into this space because it makes us uncomfortable and it might make them uncomfortable. And that should not be the case. For if Jesus is willing to step down into this earth, and not only that, specifically enter into through the sheep gate to the pool of Bethesda, where all the sick and the blind and the invalids were residing and waiting, then we need to also, also have that heart. So just to end, uh, I'll give you one thought, uh, one specific application. Think about one specific person, maybe two. Uh, maybe even just people that you experienced or maybe you encountered here at this church who you no longer see, uh, who no longer comes, or who might be struggling, and you don't really know the reason why. Perhaps God is calling you to reach out to them, to be the one to pursue them, to be the one to think about how can I create a space for them. Maybe not here. Maybe it's too uncomfortable here for them. But how can I create a space for them where I can be the one to pursue them and ask them, do you want to be healed? Let's pray. Take a few moments to reflect uh, just on what we spoke about. Uh, take a few moments to reflect upon the possibility um, that maybe we are the religious leaders, the ones that require um, very legalistic obligations and, and boundaries on who can and cannot come and, and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps maybe you can reflect upon your, even your own spiritual deadness, that maybe you are the one that requires healing. Maybe you are the one that needs to cling to Jesus. Or maybe you are the one that has been healed but has no heart of gratitude for what he has done for you. Take a few moments to res uh, respond and, and, and think through this, and then we'll continue on worship with a response song.